Before we begin today's podcast, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Covaris. Covaris is reinventing what you expect from a medical professional liability provider. By leveraging claims data and analytics, Covaris is helping doctors and administrators reduce distractions and focus on improving outcomes. Learn more at covaris.com focus. This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Joe Minasali. Joe is the president of Methodist McKinney Hospital. He's going to talk to us about Methodist leadership, priorities, and a little bit more. Joe, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you, Scott. Um, as you said, I'm with Methodist McKinney Hospital. I've been the president here since 2012. Uh, it is a Methodist McKinney's a surgical hospital, and this is my first uh, opportunity to become president of a hospital. I spent most of my career on the finance side of large for-profit health systems uh, like HCA, IASIS, and community health systems, and uh, eventually moved into the physician-owned surgical hospital world about 14 years ago. It, it- Joe, tell us, first time as CEO, how exciting was it to, to finally become a CEO? You know, it was it was a little bit scary, Scott. I actually, um, I had been a hospital CFO and had some uh, corporate and division level roles. And my wife asked me several times if I ever wanted to be a COO or CEO. And I, I said, no. And she said, why not? And I said, because doctors and nurses are scary. <laughs> so um, I, I actually had the opportunity. I needed to move back to the Dallas area to get my uh, family, uh, my boys closer to family. And when I jumped into the president role, I was not there very long before I realized that this is exactly where I was supposed to be. And the doctors and nurses were not very scary at all. So, so would you say for the record that your wife was correct and you were wrong to be so cautious? Ooh, I don't like the way you put that, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a positive thing. It's a good thing. It's, it's good to confess and admit it. It's okay that she was right and you were a little bit wrong, it's, but it's good that you you found where you're supposed to be and, and terrific. Tell us for a second, tell us a little bit about Methodist McKinney and a few points of pride in the in the health system. Yeah, so Methodist McKinney uh, started out as a uh, small surgical hospital. We have 23 beds, six ORs, and two procedure rooms with physician ownership, and uh, it started in 2010. Uh, since that time, it has uh, really grown and evolved. It was, it was multi-specialty back when it started, and now we've really evolved into a very uh, heavily musculoskeletal oriented hospital with uh, uh, most orthopedics, a fair amount of spine and pain management. Uh, No, go ahead. No, is it it still entirely physician owned? No, no. It's uh, a Methodist health system is the uh, majority partner and it's managed by uh, New Health out of Kansas City. So we have three ownership uh, contingencies there. 
Sure. So tell us, so mostly musculoskeletal. Now a hospital physician ventured together, joint venture together. And physicians in the hospitals, you know, Hatfields and the McCoys, or do they get along well today? How does that look? Our our physician group gets along really well. You you would think we have uh, 20 plus orthopedic surgeons that, with a lot of overlap, and uh, despite the fact that they're competing in each other with each other in the marketplace, they get along very well. Our group is um, uh, a, a lot of high quality guys, character guys. We're probably a little pickier than. Uh, some of the other health systems about who we might uh, want to be on staff. We're trying to be a little more exclusive and uh, not be the biggest. Thank you. When you look at rebounding from COVID this year, how has the rebound look looked post sort of the COVID moratorium months and so forth? Uh, well, we, we, took it pretty hard in April. We only did about 60 cases in April um, in the hospital. We had to only do uh, emergency surgeries. And we also own a surgery center, by the way, Scott, um, Methodist Craig Grant Surgery Center, which we shut down completely for the month of April. In May, we, we were able to uh, start ramping back up. Unfortunately, we were limited by PPE at the time. We had not stocked the stores to enough to meet our full capacity when we were able to reopen and it was hard to get our hands on things. But um, by, by the end of June, we were going full steam and uh, we're pretty much running at about 85% of normal right now. So, so pretty solid and, and a great recovery. You've worked both in not-for-profit and for-profit healthcare with both types of systems. Any differences? What are some of the differences you see? Well, now I will qualify. I hadn't didn't work, hadn't worked for a not-for-profit health system. I worked for a county hospital um, where our board was elected officials um, from the community. Which, uh, when you go from a health system where you're reporting to a corporate entity to uh, elected officials it's a completely different animal you don't uh, first of all we're more of a standalone entity so you don't have the resources of having a corporate entity to help you and so you have to uh, use a lot more consultants and then additionally you don't have the experience on the board um, that you would in a, in a corporate entity. But the good news was it, we were very successful, and uh, the, I think the, uh, the county was proud of their hospital and the board trusted our, our leadership team. When you had the elected officials on the board, I take it none of those were Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Those were not your elected officials. <laughs> no, fortunately not. Can I say that, Scott? <laughs> I, I think you could say fortunately not, and I don't think that says that goes one way or the other. I think that's nonpartisan and completely appropriate. Okay. Talk about now, you know, top three priorities currently. You're back up to 85%, you know, volumes. You've got to keep everybody safe. What are the top priorities as you look at the next six to 12 months? So uh, our one of our biggest priorities is, again, as we are a surgical hospital and we own an ASC, 
um, and our primary business is orthopedics. Um, joint replacements are shifting from inpatient to outpatient and also from hospital outpatient to surgery centers. And that's, uh, that's a, a process that you can't just change from one to the other overnight. Um, you've got a whole You've got a whole team that has to change the way they do things from the surgeon's office up front, the scheduler, the PA, the surgeon, the anesthesiologist, on into the care team at the hospital, and then your whole post-acute care. And so we are trying to be prepared for uh, all the, the stages along, along the way of that. And so some of our doctors are already doing uh, same-day discharges. Most of our doctors are getting more comfortable doing uh, second-day discharge, um, but we, we haven't done any uh, joint replacements in the surgery center. So that's one of the biggest things that we're uh, working on now is being prepared to handle that uh, very efficiently with the best outcomes. Oh, and that's and that's fantastic. Any other big priorities that you look at the next, you know, the next few months, next six months? What are the other big priorities yeah. for Methodist McKinney? The the second second big one would be implementing new technology. We've uh, definitely made an effort this year to uh, reinvest in some significant technology. We we got the Zimmer Biomet Rosa robot, which is uh, does knee replacements. Uh, we, we installed that earlier this year, and then uh, about a month ago, we upgraded an old MRI magnet with the new, GR, uh, new GE technology, and this week, we did our first DaVinci robot cases, so we're excited well, to have the da, DaVinci robot. Congratulations. Here. The DaVinci robot, I know, is an intuitive project and that you, magnificent. Talk for a moment. Are a lot of people being trained on the robots? A lot of the physicians, or a few physicians, with both the you know the total knee robot as well as the Da Vinci robot. What does that look like in terms of people getting used to and starting to train on it? And are there a few champions of it? So we actually we actually have had a Mako robot here, which uh, is by Stryker, and that's been out for a, a, probably at least ten years. And we only had a just very few of our doctors using that technology out of maybe 15 guys that do joints, maybe about four were using it, three or four. Uh, with Rosa, it's it's about the same number. So it's not as widely adopted as the Da Vinci robot. And I would say five years ago, uh, none of none of our surgeons were using the Da Vinci. And now uh, all of the general surgeons are using it most of the GYNs are using it, the urologists are using it, and so it has gone from uh, used by a few to becoming more of the standard of care. So that's why we decided to invest in the Da Vinci. We're also uh, fascinating. We're also uh, going to move, be moving forward with a spine navigation system. So. Um, we're definitely investing in technology for the OR for our surgeons. And then also um, from a technology standpoint, as you know, hospitals have to have online pricing avail available 
January 1 because of the pricing transparency rule. Um, most hospitals see that as a problem, and the AHA has a lawsuit currently trying to stop that, but we're embracing that and uh, ready to do that. We believe we're, uh, we have a good value price here, um, so we're not afraid to have online pricing. Well, well fantastic. And, and do this. You've, advice that you would have for other leaders, I mean, one piece of advice would be follow your spouse's encouragement or advice. But what other advice would you give to leaders trying to have great careers? Yeah, I, I've got two two things that I think work best for me. Um, one is I know that the marketplace for labor is really tight, especially um, nurses. And we have an aging aging workforce. It's becoming really hard to get experienced talent. Um, I I would see that a lot of uh, our managers don't want to hire uh, somebody that doesn't have experience, let's say, as an ICU nurse or an OR nurse, because it may take them three to six months to train them. My recommendation is encourage your managers to, um, to invest in training people um, instead of just looking for experience. Uh, it takes a little bit of time, and you don't get productivity in the short run. But in the long run, I think it pays off to invest in, in uh, training talent. And secondly, um, keep reading your industry literature. Read your Beckers every day. Um, uh, and, and, and click the ads on it every day. There you go. Um, no, I'm just I, kidding. I love, to, I love to keep up on the literature um, I, one of my favorite sources is the advisory board. Um, I, I want to make sure I know not where the, the market is, but where it's going. And the advisory board is a great resource for where it give you the data on where the trends are going. So make sure you stay current with that. Thank you. I think you've given a, a, a lot of great advice and, and, and efforts to you know, obviously to grow the total joint program, but also the investment in technology that you've done and the, the training of people, hire people that are talented and not necessarily know the job, but that are willing to be trained and invest in those people. I think it's just uh, fantastic. What, you, what you've done as a leader is fantastic. You know, we all wish you would have taken the presidency role sooner than you did, but congratulations on your career and just magnificent, Joe. And, and thank you for joining the Becker's Healthcare Podcast today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Scott.